In this episode, Chitra Balasubramanian, CFO at Circle CI, describes the importance of agility in moments of crisis. She emphasizes why great CFOs offer both stability and stewardship to their companies. And she outlines how the CEO-CFO relationship should be closer than ever during these economically turbulent periods. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we want to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn about how to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. Chitra, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Chitra, I'd love to uh, explore and understand actually your career path today and how you ended up as a CFO at Circle CI. Can you talk a little bit about that long and winding path and why you ended up going down the route you've taken? I wish I could tell you that it was all planned out perfectly, Ross, but the, the reality of it is it wasn't planned perfectly. And the way I like to think about my career sort of in, in hindsight is it was really about two halves, where the first half of my career was more about sort of developing those fundamental skills around finance and accounting and getting some exposure to the tech industry in particular, which is where I, I spend most of my time. But I was just fortunate, I would say, in my early time at PricewaterhouseCoopers as a public accountant to be sort of randomly assigned the tech industry as that industry where I'd be working with the most clients. And so that kind of got me that little bit of exposure early on, but it was really about developing that that knowledge set around accounting, around practices that great public companies employ for for their systems and and whatnot. And then, you know, that sort of led me into finance and wanting to kind of get a little bit more of that forward-looking experience. So I ended up sort of pivoting into investment banking. I got quite a lot of experience there. But the interesting thing is between those experiences within PricewaterhouseCoopers, I actually had this really amazing opportunity to be a subject matter expert within the company at large. So at the time, the company was almost 200,000 folks. And what they competed against the other sort of big four companies at that time, the other large public accounting companies. And it was about, how can we get a little bit more differentiated? How can we use systems and technology to better our our audits and kind of our, our product, if you will? And so they sought some auditors to come in and work hand in hand with technologists to really develop these next gen products. And I was really the first one who had that opportunity to to do so. And that really piqued my interest in in tech. And so then from that point on, I really wanted to be much more tech forward, have the opportunity to leverage my skills in finance and accounting, but get much more involved in, in tech companies, which is what led me on my sort of startup journey across 
Blackhawk Network, Retail Next, and now Circle CI, where I've, I've been at the company for almost six years. And touching on that point on technology, it is fascinating because having now then moved into that tech sector, you've gone through crazy periods of growth, almost unprecedented, like perhaps barring the dot-com era and with the financial crash, huge periods of retrenchment and, and contraction. And so th- there have been significant ups and downs over the period you've been in tech. Absolutely. It's been fascinating. I remember when I was at Lehman Brothers in Barclays, it was in 2008. So saw that whole period kind of at its uh, best and worst, really. And what I could say as a CFO and being in that finance position, it's all about maintaining agility, because I think it's really easy for for companies and folks to get caught up in um, the hype cycles or even get maybe overly conservative in a down cycle. But, you know, what I've tried to employ, at least in my own practices, is some amount of stability and and consistency, whether the the macro environment is is really hot or whether it's kind of going through a, a softer period. And that's really helped sort of stabilize not just my own function, but but really the company and and their ability to stay focused on on the work rather than on on the noise that's sort of going on around us. And it's interesting you said that you were working in banking at the time of 2008. So what sometimes we explored with with previous guests was how did previous crises compare with the pandemic in 2020? Because that was like very fresh in people's minds. But now that we're somewhat passing or have passed the pandemic, there's the potential of like a significant correction or recession on the horizon. And, and in tech in particular, there's a, there's a huge change in valuation, unfortunately, a lot of layoffs. So for you, given that you've been through several of these, how do they compare from your perspective? Yeah, it's it's interesting. When I was in banking back in 2008, it felt very, I would say, specific to the financial sector, sort of the, the impact at large. A lot of employees who were within these large banks were really personally affected by some of the practices and what happened within those organizations. Whereas today, I feel that it really is sort of a global effect because of the pandemic, because of sort of some of the larger macroeconomic changes that are happening, you know, in inflation, oil prices, things like that are really far reaching. And so it does touch upon every sector within the economy. So from that standpoint, it's a little bit different. There's a little more uncertainty as to how all of these different economic factors are going to ultimately affect industries and companies at large. So I would say that's some of the big difference, I would say, between kind of the 08 crises where, yes, while banking does touch everybody, the impact was largely within those organizations and and, and sector. And they obviously bounced back. The other thing that I've noticed, um, and I don't know if it's the same for you, and I don't know if it's the same in the US, but particularly in the UK, is that Everyone is experiencing problems with the cost of living, and that, that's a community-wide. But then when it comes to some of the impact on, say, layoffs or significant changes in, in organizations, I see that more in the technology sector than I see in what you'd call in the U.S. Main Street. And I wondered whether that was something that you, you uh, would share from what you see in the, in the U.S., where the, so far the change in capital markets has hit the tech sector first, perhaps, but not necessarily the other sectors yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it that remains to be seen. I think the the interesting thing about tech is it really is 
while it's an industry in its own right, every company and every industry employs technology, right? So there's a lot of sort of overlap or, or mixing of quote unquote tech with other industries, right? So even within tech, you may have fintech or, or healthcare or crypto or various types of, you know, sort of sub industries. So depending on how you cut it, I would say the impact can vary and has has varied. Where where we sit in sort of the developer tools part of, of technology, it's been a little bit of a different story given the fact that software is prevalent across all industries and it continues to be an important asset for companies to, to be able to move quickly on. And so the impact has been a little bit different, for example, in companies helping to fuel sort of software development at large. But for industries that have grown super fast, you know, I would say in a short amount of time, they, they've probably seen more of that impact or those who have kind of outsized benefits from pandemic or other types of shorter term kind of severe situations. You know, I think obviously like the, the speed in which you grow can, can negatively impact sort of that longer term status, if you will. And I've, I think we've seen that in the market with some of the companies who were performing what you might have called blitzscaling, where they were hiring, like doubling headcount into in the hundreds or even sometimes into the low thousands. Coinbase was one of the ones that came out just was saying that they, they doubled headcount last year and they, they grew too quickly at that point. And now there's a, unfortunately a huge layoff that's come back with that. So what, how does that then affect your role as a CFO? Okay, you're, you're there, as you said, to be a a steward and a custodian of the of the future of the company as a leader, but also as, a, as the financial leader within the company. How do you think about navigating this period in this market so that, you again, you can protect and, and guide the company at Circle CI as best you can? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's something that's absolutely top of mind for, for me, and I know a lot of my, my peers in the industry. And the way I've sort of tackled that is by really trying to take a long-term view and being able to, at the same time, be agile within short-term uh, planning horizons. So how can we think about what's really best for the company over the long term, but sort of invest in a way where we can remain nimble over the course of sort of the, the shorter-term time horizon where there's a little bit more global uncertainty and, and uncertainty around us. So I think for me, it's always been about taking that longer term view, not getting too getting caught up in in hype cycles. For example, a year ago, last couple of years, there's been a lot of hype around valuations, especially in technology. But again, keeping that that sort of head on straight through through all of that hype and knowing that kind of take a prudent approach even to fundraising and other types of capital events, it could, you know, hurt your longer term prospects. So at least for me, it's been about is this decision today going to withstand the various cycles that may exist in the in the economy, or is it something that's really highly sensitive to the economy re- remaining in this current condition? So that's how I've sort of taken approach. Is this decision going to withstand the test of time, at least for several years? How do we stay kind of flexible, agile in our financial planning, in the tools that we use? I think all of these types of uh, practice has become really important and critical for finance teams, actually, to be able to uh, move quickly and 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 adjust uh, based on on the actual results that you're seeing in the market. 
And it seems to me as well, you alluded to this earlier, which is that in a period like last year, it was almost growth at all costs. There was a bit of a sentiment uh, within certainly the private um, market tech world, uh, obviously venture-backed, whereas now it's all about profitability, sustainability, extending your runway and so forth. Um, But it seems as if perhaps the enlightened path would be to when it's growth at all costs, that never going all in on that factor because you might overextend. So when the market changes, which no one can predict, it's that you're not overexposed. But equally now, and we saw this in the pandemic, if you go too severe with your cuts, you might actually significantly damage company culture and also take away not just fat, but muscle from the organization for when things again improve in conditions. Like, is, that, is that the way that you might see it as well? Yeah, absolutely. When things are in a high growth period, from my perspective, I think it's still important to maintain that view on efficiency, to maintain that view on uh, profitability, at least, you know, it, it should be part of, there should be a path to that. There should be a knowledge and a very intentional approach to growth, even if it is growing with, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, efficiency or, or knowing that, you're taking a little bit more of an aggressive approach. But I think it's really going into those periods with that intention and that understanding that it's a choice and it's it should not be a, a strategy, so to speak, right? You, there's got to be that underlying path and, and, and sort of pulse on, on the metrics, on knowing what those investment decisions are, what the risk is in all of those so that you can adjust over time. I think that without that view, that, Again, things could change and and where you might need to focus a little bit more on on profitability and that trade-off between growth and, and profitability. I, I think it's it's just important to understand those relationships and, and be able to adjust as necessary. Mm-hmm. And those scenarios where you're trying to get that balance right, I can imagine for a CFO, one of the trickiest things is managing expector, uh, investor relations, sorry, and the expectation of investors. Because in the growth period, if you're not growing maybe what they are, what certain peers are, because you're trying to, as you said, be a moderating force, you get pressure for not growing fast enough. And in periods like this, if you're not cutting costs significantly and extending runway long enough, then you can equally get pressure for not being the right the right custodian. So how do you go about or how do you approach managing investor relations and those expectations, which are almost always demanding? I like to be very transparent with the investors. And I like to come to investors with a lot of thoughtfulness around various scenarios, various choices that we can make as as a management, as well as our recommendations. But I do think that it's a conversation to be had with investors and your board members. And everyone should be aligned in what what that strategy and plan is. And so I think it's all about providing that, you know, the right amount of information, the reasons for for those choices, and and sort of getting that that buy-in along that journey. And again, with the agility and the the planning and whatnot, you can also make changes as necessary during tough markets. But from my perspective, it's all about having really good communication with investors and board members and, and a very transparent line of um, discussion. With them. Have you always had that approach or has that pr- approach kind of evolved over time as you've got things wrong along the way when it comes to investor relations? Because it's a hot topic for CFOs. It's a, a hot topic for sure. Everything that 
I've, I've sort of ha- have done has been an evolution. It's been sort of infused with learnings along the way. And I think that, you know, I, I can't say that I've always had this, this knowledge from, from the sort of first year of being a, a CFO, but I think it's something that over time I've really found to be the approach is getting folks bought in, involved. They understand how you make decisions. And I think that's where the, the trust and credibility can also sort of start to be developed. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps switching subjects slightly. So you were in this period where, again, there's a lot of change and certainly you, your company or, or you're probably seeing your peers and your team is seeing some of their friends and colleagues being affected by it. How does that affect how you lead uh, as a CFO? And I mean by both as a CFO and a senior leader within the entire company, but then specifically as a leader of the finance function. How, how are you trying to lead the teams through this change? Yeah, I mean, I think in multiple ways. First of all, you have to lead with, with empathy because while your own team may not be directly affected, they may have family members, they may have friends and others that are affected by, by layoffs and sort of tough situations like that. So I think maintaining that, that empathy is really critical and something that I think about quite often. I think the other thing is having an open dialogue around what is happening in the environment around us. And so this is something where I'm very open to having conversations with not only my finance teams, but as well as others around me in terms of what is happening from a macro perspective. How are we going to navigate through that, through this cycle? What is our particular focus as a company to get through this? What are we going to do? How are we going to to, to manage and, and maintain sort of our, our focus and, and what we need to do to sort of service our customers through a challenging environment? Because it's not just us, right? Our customers may be impacted. Our partners may be impacted. It really is something that you can't just completely ignore what's going on. We're all part of a, a larger ecosystem that is affected. So I think it's really thinking about that very thoughtfully and and sort of separating what's within our control, what's sort of outside of our control, and, and how do we get through that? That touches on the, the idea of like your your customers and partners, your, the whole ecosystem. Like what what are you seeing right now as you look outside of your company and into the, the, the broader industry and ecosystem in terms of like the market and the sentiment at the moment? Yeah, I see a lot of mixed things happening around me. Coming off of a huge bull run, if you will, over the last decade, you know, you've got companies who are really thinking about a lot of the decisions they've made over the past 10 years, even some of the, the largest tech companies really looking at, okay, are some of the choices we made the right ones, are we going to continue to uh, sort of have them in place over the the next period of time? Or do we need to adjust given the economy today? So there's a lot of, I would say, reassessment for companies around us in terms of hiring and kind of bringing on talent. I would say there's been a lot of sort of globalization, of course, resulting from the pandemic. But again, it's something that companies are thinking about their approach there hybrid workforce, in-office, a lot of these types of decisions are are being reassessed right now, actually, even compared to a a year ago, 
companies are thinking about these things. So I see a lot of, in general, kind of taking stock of of where where companies are at, what what they've done so far from just general company practices, and thinking about whether those are the ones you want to go forward with. I, I guess also in this period, the leadership team, the executive team, it has has a critical role in in guiding the company, but also coming together. And this comes back to a very popular theme that comes up on the show time and time again, that is that for a CFO, the importance of the partnership and relationship with your CEO, um, because in many ways you're the, the most important internal advisor and, and leader for the CEO that can help, one, expand their capabilities and operate the company to free them up to focus on the, the huge number of topics on their plate. But then also you can kind of speak truth to power in a way that perhaps nobody else can. So how, how again, in, in a period like this, are you working with your executive peers and in particular your, your CEO, who would be, I guess, your number one partner? Yeah, no, I would say that in a period like this, my involvement has even heightened with my my peers as well as with the CEO. In, in times like this, and there's a lot of things to process for folks. And I think the finance teams are in the best position to be able to do a lot of that processing, to be able to assess what's going on, to be able to come up with scenarios, to be able to help educate uh, not only the leadership team, kind of ex-CEO, but also proactively inform the CEO of a lot of different options and, and things like that that exist. It's something where I think it's important to be proactive in this in this type of market for CFOs and kind of other finance leaders because a lot of folks don't necessarily know what questions to ask or how to make sense of what's going on, how to sort of navigate through these cycles. But I think the the financial leaders are really in the best spot. One, because they have access to the information, they have that analytical horsepower, they've got the team, they generally have kind of that economic mindset and can understand those relationships. So I think it's really important in a time like this to kind of lean into that and proactively sort of educate your teams, your leaders, but also provide that that guidance and kind of that advisory role for, for the CEO. And do you think that that applies primarily to to finance leaders like yourself and perhaps even the, the heads of departments? Or do you actually think that's a message that resonates and, and should be applicable to everyone in finance, regardless of their, their level? Oh, absolutely. I think it, it should be something that every financial professional at, at all levels can, can really leverage at this time and, and sort of lean into at this time. I think members of my team, they, they do a lot sort of autonomously and in, in, in kind of educating others, not just, ed- I don't want to say educating as if others don't have that knowledge, but helping to advise through their their analyses and, and sort of broad perspective. They're able to have those conversations with those that they uh, sort of interact with on a day-to-day basis. So absolutely, it it kind of goes to all all ranks within within finance. And I think my only emphasis on saying leadership and, and, and CFOs is that I think it the, the impact can can start from the, the CEO and, and go all the way through the organization. Yeah. And that touches on actually the type of team that you're building and how you build it. Uh, again, up until very recently, the, the one of the primary conversations you would have and one of the top priorities, I'm sure it was the same for you, was the great resignation, you know, like keeping your best people, hiring other great people because you're growing fast. 
and that there's been a shift in that now following the change in the capital market. So what like how are you approaching that now when you're thinking about specifically the finance team? Like what like are you still like growing and hiring and then obviously like looking to find the best people? Or I say is it now more about keeping the the unit that you've got in place secure and then like bite like waiting out the storm? It's an interesting question. You know, I think from my standpoint, my opinion hasn't changed or my perspective hasn't changed significantly. It's always been about retaining the best talent, hiring best talent, retaining the best talent and building a strong team. So I would say that whether the the period was kind of that tough or high, high period we were in before or more challenging period right now, I think that that underlying need remains the same. So it's, it's all about kind of continuing to, to build the, the strength of, of the team um, that I have in place. I have a great team. I'm fortunate for that. And I think the interesting part for all of us is as a team, we're navigating through these different challenges and in a way, kind of having that experience across the team, across team members is a very intellectually satisfying one, frankly, for, for everyone involved, right? It's about it's a unique experience to go from a very high valuation type environment to more uh, challenging macroeconomic environment and, and being within the same organization through those cycles, I would say is just one, it's it's super interesting, but I think doing it alongside others who you've been working with along that way is is even more kind of satisfying. I think it's the same for a lot of hardworking teams, but finance in particular, there's a bonding that happens through going through these fiery, uh, unpredictable periods because, they, as you said, you're the custodians of often like truth and, and uh, advice within a company, but that comes often at the cost of having to burn the midnight oil to get to the very truth of the matter at hand. So so there's a real bonding experience there, but I, but I guess as well as that, it's something that you build a very strong network with. And so that's why for many CFOs and many, many professionals in finance, so much of their career is shaped not by the opportunities that are out there in the market, but by where their network go and the desire to keep continue to working with people throughout their career. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely right. Not just within your team or within your organization, but I would say one thing that's been uh, great for me is getting to know other financial professionals outside of my organization as well, right? And and kind of working through some of these unique uh, sort of first time challenges for all of us, I would say, together, especially when the pandemic started, there were a lot of things that finance teams in particular had to figure out, right? Forecasting the very low visibility environment, a lot of changes around healthcare and, and, and services there, leave policies, a lot of new things that teams had to solve together. And so getting that network of, of leaders together to solve those together had, had was something that I think was really kicked off by the pandemic. And it's something that's continued along the way. So I'm, I'm happy for that kind of relationship building, again, not just within my own team, but amongst my, my peers and others in the, in the industry. And so how do you then, like, how do you connect with your peers and other finance leaders? There are a variety of ways. So sometimes we may get together to, to discuss specific topics. A lot of times our, our investors actually connect us through a sort of topical, I'll, I'll get together with folks for, for dinner and we'll be kind of just discuss what, what are some of the challenges of the day. I would say there are email 
lists and whatnot for people to exchange questions. There are a variety of different media for for financial leaders to actually connect with others. And that's something that's been tremendously helpful, I would say, for me. And then the, the other part that you've alluded to, of course, is the fact that there's the there's your team as well and you mentioned earlier on that like in the early days of you being an auditor that one of the ways that they were looking to differentiate was through the I guess the provision or advice around systems and technology is that some and of course that prompted your move into tech but what we've seen is that the the use of systems and technology whilst it's always been present in finance seems to have really accelerated in the past few years the availability of services and solutions so is that something that you have first of all seen and then secondly do you try to build that into your strategy at Circle CI? Absolutely. We are big believers in technology. And I would say the, the same holds true for the finance and accounting functions within our organization. There are so many great tools that have been developed that have helped us uh, stay efficient, that have helped us maintain kind of that quality. Uh, there's a lot of data, right, within finance and accounting. There's a lot of processing work and you know, at some point, it doesn't make sense to continue some of those manual practices from when we were a small startup. We've grown and scaled very quickly. And in order for our team to not have scaled at that same level as the, the organization at large, we've had to employ systems and, and, and good processes to make that happen. And there are a lot of great specialized tools out there that help tackle different areas of different problems that we have to solve. And, and so we do have quite a, a patchwork, I would say, of, of different tools that help us out. And it's it's been great. It's it's something that is definitely part of our strategy as a, as a finance team, because without that, I would say it's really hard to manage uh, high growth and, and, and scale. And, and even that, that point about selecting and uh, curating technology, it's a, it can be a full-time function in itself. So what we've seen is that there's a divide between, say, the finance teams who want it, want it to happen but rely on IT to perhaps drive it and make it and, and really push it forward. But then there are other uh, finance leaders and finance teams that have embedded some of that technology selection and the technology strategy directly into finance almost as part of like the role of a financial controller or someone who works in FP&A. And what's been your approach at Circle CI? Yeah, we've we've definitely taken that latter approach where we've embedded that vendor selection and kind of curation of the tools within our our finance function. The actual users have been involved in looking and exploring the different tools in working with the vendors. We always do touch work with our systems architect and IT, of course, as we roll things out and implement things to make sure there's that connectivity across other systems within the organization. But in terms of the actual selection of the tools to match the the needs and the problems and the requirements of the team, we've we've definitely embedded that and, and taken that on ourselves. I think that the user knows the need the most. Uh, and so it's really helpful to have their involvement with, with that process. And if not, take a leadership role in that in that process. So is that meant that you've had to either upskill the people that you have or potentially even just look for different capabilities in the people that you're bringing into the team? Because it's not always a given that a finance mm-hmm. professional would actually have that ability. It's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I would say that 
initially, a lot of my my team, we, we have had quite a bit of tenure, I would say, within the organization. And when they joined early on, they may not necessarily have, have come with that systems or technology background and experience, nor was it something that I necessarily hired for at that time. But, you know, it's really about making sure you have folks who can expand their their minds to the need that's going to exist in scaling. And so I think it's helpful to have a, a systems mindset or the, at least the ability to, to think about how systems can benefit your practices, because that's the only way ultimately to, to be able to get out of some of the manual efforts and, and, and truly get leverage in, in, in scale. And so I do think hiring folks who, who have that capability, maybe not experience, but at least that potential flexibility to, to sort of see beyond their immediate role is is pretty critical. Moving on from technology, there there's two questions I'm thinking of as we, we draw the interview to a close. There's two things that, that I would love to explore with you. One is advice for others, which we always like to touch on. But the second that I would like to explore, and we start with that one, is the harder question, arguably, which is that we're in this period right now where there's been a shift in the capital markets. A lot of what we've touched on uh, is attached to that today. Often as a finance leader, you're asked to predict the unpredictable. And so what's your sense, your intuition? Because obviously nobody knows for sure. As your outlook for the next 12 to 24 months is like, do you think that we will return to a sense of normality? Will we go back to a pre-2008 um, level with macroeconomic conditions? Or will it stay actually, do you think, where we are right now, which is like extremely challenging? Oh, I think that is definitely the the million dollar question that that everybody is is grappling with right now. I think I I'm an optimist. I think that we are a highly resilient population and we'll get through the the environment just as we have in past cycles. It's cyclical. The economy has always been that way, so I've no doubt that we'll we'll, we'll sort of bounce back from a larger economic perspective. That being said, I do think it's important for folks to maintain that long-term view and start to put in those those sort of prudent practices now to help get through and perhaps even shorten some of the potential cyclicality, right? I think we do have uh, some control over that based on how we approach investing, how we approach procurement and other types of critical functions. So I, I think that we do have control as, as financial leaders to, to take that responsible view and manage through these cycles. But in general, I do think that we'll get back to strong levels uh, that we've seen before. It's just a matter of, of time. We've been able to, as a global population, get through a you know pretty challenging couple of years. You know, we're not fully out of the woods yet, but I would say that we we are a resilient population, and and we'll get through all of these, and and things will be back. That's my personal view. In terms of advice, I would give. I think it's again everything is going to pass. Tough situations, tough problems, always enter into our our world as financial folks, and really any any company. Uh, team member has to go through challenging periods. And I think from my experience over the last couple of decades, it's not worth getting too stressed over a particular issue. When something arises, get the best heads involved, think through it, solve the problem, move on. Everything is sort of 
solvable, uh, you know, with their minds on that problem. And I think that's how I've I've approached uh, some of the the tough situations over my experience. And looking back, we, we've kind of gotten through many, many tough situations. So I, I think my advice to folks would be to not not worry too much, especially those who are starting to enter this type of profession or are wanting to get into a leadership role, maintain that that calm, maintain that uh, sort of problem-solving nature, and, and you'll be able to kind of get through a lot of the, the challenges by consulting the right folks, having the right team to work through those problems. I like the stoicism of that. Like, just keep keep calm, move on, things will pass. Chitra, sage advice for anyone that's listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. One last thing. We want to learn from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better. Head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.